Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. So in 2016, uh, the Chicago Cubs made Major League Baseball history. And they, yeah, yeah, I know, there's some Cub fans in here, I'm sure. They faced the Cleveland Indians in the World Series, best of seven. And the Cubs uh, were behind in the series three to one. Four games, they'd only won one. And the history of baseball, only four teams had ever come back from that kind of deficit, so the odds are totally stacked against them. And if you add to that, that at this point, um, the Cubs had this record in their possession, the longest drought in professional sports history, not just baseball, in all of sports history, uh, to go without a championship in their city. 108 years they'd gone without a championship. Now, the Chicagoans, as you might have heard, there's a few here, they love their cubbies, but they had not brought home a championship in baseball since 1908. So if you're a baseball fan, and I am at the World Series, when the World Series starts, uh, then you know that they did indeed come back, and they won that World Series. And who could ever forget that last game? Game seven, it goes to, uh, they're tied, they go into the 10th inning, and it's delayed because it rains. And then at the top of the 10th, when, when the rain had stopped enough for them to go back out on the field, the Cubs are up to bat, it's tied 6-6, six to six, and they score two runs, and they take the lead, 8-6. And then the Indians... They come up to bat at the bottom of the 10th, and they bring it to 8-7. to seven. So they're one run away at the bot- in the bottom of the 10th. They have a man on base, and Michael Martinez grounds out with an infield grounder, and it's over. And here's what it looked like on the field. <laughs> it's great, huh? Grown men. Okay. Now, if you wonder if, the, if Chicagoans were thrilled about this happening, then here's a picture of the victory parade that they had. And uh, they say that five million people showed up for this parade. So do you think that they were happy? Yeah, they were happy. Yeah, we, why do we love stories like that? Why do we love stories uh, that... Someone's down for the count. There's no way, and they come back. And, you know, know, if you were a Cub player, regardless of how much you're being paid at that time to play a game and eat sunflower seeds, um, it would be easy to just look at history and the stats and say, you know, there's just no way we can win this and just let down. But there was one word that describes... That what made the difference. And that word is perseverance. If you haven't been with us through this study uh, that we've titled Add to Your Faith, we've been like focusing in on 
Peter's second letter um, in chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, where he writes that as Christians, when we have faith, we're supposed to add virtues to that faith. Our faith doesn't just stay the way it is when we're born again. In fact, the way he puts it, he says, make every effort, which means to work really, really hard at adding these virtues. And if we do, Peter says, it will make all the difference in our faith. We've talked about goodness. It's an overall virtue that describes just, I mean, it's like wake up and say, I want to show the world goodness today. I want to work on that. I want to make every effort as a Christian to show goodness to the world. Peter said we're to add knowledge. That is, we're to be informed about our faith. And that means making an investment in studying the Bible, in interacting with other Christians. We grow also in knowledge by serving and by having experiences. And then last week, Jed talked about self-control, how that, you know, the longer we're a Christian, one of the virtues that we add is like less control by us, more control by God. And today, I want to say that if you want a faith that is vibrant and fruitful, then Peter says to make every effort to add to your faith perseverance. If you're going to have a lively faith, a productive faith, a faith that is contagious to people around you, then you're going to have to add some perseverance to your faith. And wouldn't it be fair for us to say that we need to persevere in our perseverance, right? And perseverance, as you know, it's that quality that keeps you doing something or at least trying to do something even when it's hard, even when others are opposing you in doing it. An actual word that Peter uses here can be translated endurance, Besides just perseverance, it can be translated constancy or fortitude, and it has this nuance in the meaning that is like a cheerful or hopeful endurance. Now, I know that Ricky Bobby said that second place is just first loser, right? So I want to be clear here. I'm not saying that God says we always must win. You see, perseverance isn't just about winning. It's about not quitting. And so today, I want to talk to those of you who feel like quitting. Maybe you feel like just throwing in the towel right now. It could be your marriage. You've tried and you've tried and you've tried. And no matter what you do, you just feel like the thrill is gone. It might be you've, been, you've had this dream, something that you wanted to accomplish. And you've plugged away at it, and you thought one day you could and you would, and now you're just thinking, I'm just going to settle. There's just no way that that dream is going to come true. Some of you, a few years ago, you worked really, really hard at getting debt-free, and it felt great, but then you started using that credit card again, and here you are with another debt snowball, and you're thinking, why, am I, why would I even try now? For some of you, it's ministry, serving, serving in your church, something that you actually love to do, but you've just gotten tired. You've gotten distracted, and you're thinking, uh, I think I'm just going to fade. For some of you, when you think about perseverance, it's, it's with your kids. You keep praying and praying for that one child that has wandered away from God, and, and you're just like, I don't know if I have any hope left that that child will turn back to God. For some of you, it's an addiction. 
something you've tried to overcome and you've prayed and you've fought and you've dedicated yourself and rededicated yourself over and over again, but it just keeps coming back on you. And for some of you, you have someone in mind that you, you would just love. You, it's like you want to see them become a Christian. And you've prayed for them and had long conversations with them, but it just it seems the more you pray for them, the further they get from God. And some of you, it's just life in general. You, you just, there's so many disappointments and unmet expectations, and you've done everything you can to hang in there, and it just seems like it's just too much, and it all stinks. But some of you, you're not even, you're, you're smarter than that. You're not just thinking about quitting altogether. Some of you are doing what they're calling quiet quitting now. You heard about this? On TikTok and Instagram, people are posting videos of how you don't have to quit your job. It's just there are secrets, secret ways that you can slack off, that you can just look like you're doing your job. But it's, you're not quitting, you're just coasting in the job you currently have. Sometimes I wonder if Christians today aren't quiet quitting. They were kind of going through the motions, kind of giving lip service to the mission that God has given us. We're making it look like we care, but we're really just coasting. This message today from uh, 2 Peter is for every one of you, every one of us, who is thinking about quitting. And you know, the Apostle Paul, he acknowledged that this is something that human beings face, even in the first century. It was a reality for them. It's a reality for us. And in his letter to the Galatians, in Galatians 6, 9, I'm going to put it up on the screen. There it is. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. The Apostle Paul says, don't become weary in doing good. Which, by the way, that was the first virtue Peter told us to work on, goodness. So that thing that, that as you look at your world and the people around you, when you think about showing them goodness, Paul says, don't get weary in doing that. It's a basic building block. So you've got to hang in there. You have to keep going. You have to persevere. Because if you do, Paul says... At the proper time, there will be a harvest. And that's a great metaphor. I mean, I think about, like, have you ever, like, done a garden? How many of you, like, have ever planted a garden before? And then you're like, hey, Costco has vegetables. I don't need to do this anymore. <laughs> so we've, we've done some gardens. And, you know, like, there's all that prep work, right? You dig up a hunk of your lawn, and, like, you know, you till the soil, you add all the amendments, and then you'd like, if you're really into it, you do seeds. And you plant these seeds, and there's nothing for a really long time. And you're going out there, and you're, you're watering, and you're looking at it, and you're like, from prep to product, it's like, it's a long time, and it's a lot of work. But you can't stop watering, and you can't stop pulling weeds, and you can't stop getting rid of pests if you want to harvest. So if you're thinking about throwing in the towel on your faith or matters of faith or, you know, these things that God, you felt like God is telling you to do, I want you to know that you're not alone. In fact, every person in the Bible that God used mightily 
wanted to quit at some time. Even the fact that the Apostle Paul writes these words in Galatians says that it's a reality. I want to show you a story from the Bible that's kind of central to what to perseverance uh, to our talk today. And um, in the in this period in Israel's life, they are they are united under one king. These are the glory days of Israel, but God's patience has worn thin with the current king Saul, and God is speaking to a prophet in that day. His name is Samuel about the need for change. And in 1 Samuel 16, 1, the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, and I've chosen one of his sons to be king. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible or like these Old Testament stories, a prophet is kind of God's representative at that time. Samuel is both a prophet and a judge, and a prophet served as a religious leader. They were kind of like the the conscience of the nation. They they helped make military decisions. They made political appointments. And at this time, Saul, the current king, is the king that Israel wanted. He looked every bit the part, the king. He was disobedient to God. He was not who they thought he was going to be. And this, this phrase where, it's, where the Lord tells um, Samuel to take this horn of oil, it's like he's saying, I want you to fill this, this ram's horn with oil, which is an, a way of symbolizing who the next choice is. It's a way in the Old Testament days of like, this is, this is my choice from God. And so he's going to go somewhere with this, and he's going to pour that oil on the next person as a, as a symbol that this is, the, this is going to be the new king. And so he's, uh, the Lord sends him to Jesse in the town of Bethlehem. And now that, back then, it was a big deal when a prophet came to your city. It was like when the principal walks in your class and you're in elementary school or when the chief walks in your fire station. And when Samuel gets to Jesse's home in Bethlehem, he meets each of his sons, all seven of them, seven of them and he's trying to figure out which one, chief, um, <laughs> Which one God has sent him to anoint as king? And as each son comes up, he's like, ooh, that very kingly looking son. You know, is that the one? And each time the Lord speaks to him, says, nope, that's not it. And he hears no on every one of the sons that Jesse brings to him. And Samuel's confused. And so in verse 11, he asks Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. And so when his youngest, David, arrives, then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So you tracking with me so far? So Samuel leaves. Great story, right? We're going to have a new king. Job done. So what happens next? You, don't, you probably don't have that passage open, but do you think that the next part of that verse reads, and so David became king, and everybody lived happily ever after? Nope. You know, scholars estimate at this point, David is probably about 15 years old. So that would be great, right? Any 15-year-olds here? Wouldn't you love to be king? So that's not what happens here. 
David does not become king on this day. In fact, it's what doesn't happen that is expected to happen and what does happen that is unexpected to happen that makes this story such a great example and a compelling story of perseverance. Because you have to read 18 chapters more in your Bible before David becomes king. In fact, it's in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 4. David was 30 years old when he became king. So this is 18 chapters later, an, an entirely different book, right? 2 Samuel, not 1 Samuel. And those 18 chapters represent about 15 years. So it was 15 years from the time David was anointed to be the king until he was crowned king. So how old are you right now? Don't say it out loud. I want you to think back 15 years. Click back in your mind. Get that number. Where were you? What were you doing? And how much has transpired in those last 15 years? I know for some of you it seems like a whirl, which it does for me. And a lot has happened in those 15 years. And it was the same then. At first for David, everything looks great. He looks like he's in kind of like a mentorship with Saul as the next king. He moves into the palace. He becomes Saul's musician. He saves Israel from Goliath and the Philistines. And he forges a friendship with the king's son, Jonathan. And it's all going pretty well. But then there's this battle that occurs. And David demonstrates extraordinary military skill and bravery. And when he comes back, he's welcomed as a hero. There's this big victory parade, and people chant, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Hmm. Now, do you think that Saul was saying in his head, man, isn't that great? My successor is doing so well. In, verse, uh, in 1 Samuel 18.8, Saul was very angry and this refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. So what more can, can he get but the kingdom? And from, now, and from that time, Saul kept a close eye on David. So this mentoring, father-like relationship with Saul turns into treacherous Saul. And he makes multiple attempts on David's life. And David, having been faithful having been chosen by God, having risked his life multiple times for the sake of the nation, is now on the run. It's a great, great story for you to read if you've never read it. He's like a common outlaw. And if you're David, what's going through your head? Would you be thinking, well, I thought God said that I was going to be king. Did I get that wrong? Man, it was so clear doesn't seem right. Do you think that he wants to quit? This is a period in David's life when he is praying prayers like this one that he wrote in Psalm 13. He says, how long, Lord? How long? Will you forget me forever? When you're in that point, do, do you feel like it's a really long time? And do you feel like God has forgotten you? How long will you hide your face from me? Do you ever feel like God is just like, he's like, he's not even talking to you. You can't find him. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day and night, day after day, 
and have sorrow in my heart. Does your brain just like kick in the, you know, kick in the afterburners when you wake up at, you know, two in the morning and you're just like, you're just all anxious about everything that isn't happening? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me, my God. You know, there's a modern version of this prayer. And it's not a recommendation, but uh, DMX wrote a song, Lord, Give Me a Sign. Here's some of the lyrics. I really need to talk to you, Lord, since the last time we talked, the walk has been hard. Now, I know you haven't left me, but I feel like I'm alone. I'm a big boy now, but I'm still not grown. And I'm still going through it, the pain and the hurt, soaking up trouble like rain in the dirt. And you know, I can only, only I can stop the rain with the mention of my Savior's name. In the name of Jesus! Okay. This is not the only time in David's life when he's going to have trouble lining up what he believes God has for him and what his reality is. Later in his life, he's betrayed by his beloved son. He experiences the death of his children and friends. He's facing all of his own personal failures. And that's when it's hard to persevere. When we don't understand what God is doing and we're still waiting for the thing that we thought God wanted for us. And that's what makes us want to quit. We believe in God and we want to trust him. But it's hard. It's hard to keep going. And there are just reasons that can explain why we want to quit in that time. And I want to take the last few moments of our time this morning and share two of those with you. Why do we want to give up when it's time to persevere? Number one, we want to give up because our perspective is often limited. See, like us, David can't sink all the pieces together. He's been told he's going to be king, and then all this stuff happens to him. His perspective is limited. You know, the truth is, God doesn't let us in on all his plans. Doesn't that kind of frustrate you, too? He told us, though, his thoughts are not our thoughts. He is far above us. And for some unknown reason, God doesn't tell me all of his plans. I think I could help him a lot with them. But David, as you saw, like his prayer, David being David... The reason why he's so admired by the people of Israel in his day and later, he makes a turn. And do you know how Psalm 13 ends? In verse 5 of Psalm 13, he says, even though I don't, I feel like you're far away, I feel like you're hiding, why won't you answer me, why is this so long? He says, but I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise because he has been good to me. David says, I'm going to trust in your unfailing love, God. I may not know your plan. My perspective is limited, but I know you love me. Your love is unfailing. Now, if you're a person who you feel so far from God right now that you think there's no way that God is interested in you. 
I want you to look at what David said. That even when you feel the furthest from God, his love is unfailing. So David says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to rejoice that you've saved me. I'm going to sing your praise, and I'm going to think of your goodness to me. And some of you here today, you have a goal, you have a dream, but all you see is delays. All you see is the obstacles. You see the enemies that are in your way, and you're tempted to quit. You might be tempted to cheat, to change your values, and you get bitter instead of better. And you're in this spot right now where it's really difficult for you to stand because your perspective is limited. You've got a place you want to be. You know what you want to do or what you hope to do. But all you can see is what's between you and that. Maybe for you, it's you want to get out of debt. And you've got a vision to get out, but all you can see is those bills. Some of them you've created. And it's a huge obstacle in your way. Some of you, a few weeks ago, you were saying, you know, you're kind of rededicating your family to God, and you're like, we're going to be a family that honors Jesus, and we're going to go to church. And then when you're driving here today, in that commitment, all you were doing was fighting on the way. And if you could have reached your kids in the back, you would have, like, knocked them one. Some of you, like, you have broken relationships in your life. And, like, everything that you've tried to do to mend those, all your concerns, it's like it doesn't seem like anything is changing. And here's David. The last thing in his life right now indicates that he's going to become king there is no indication, there's no connection between what Samuel said on that day and where he is in his life right now. And he just says, but I trust in your unfailing love. Sometimes our perspective is limited. There's another reason we want to quit when instead we should persevere, and it's this. We want to give up because our progress isn't always obvious. Our progress isn't always obvious. Don't you think that for those 15 years, David just kept thinking, man, this isn't going anywhere. This thing is not happening. And in fact, just two chapters before David is crowned king, 2 Samuel 3.1, it says that the war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. Isn't that what it feels like? This is just going on and on. It's a good description. But check this out. That verse goes on with this. David grew stronger and stronger, while the house of, the, of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Do you see what was happening there? David is in the pit of despair. It is a long time, but kind of in the background. Obviously, David can't see this, but what's happening is he is growing stronger and stronger while the house of Saul is growing weaker. Sometimes we can't see that God is there. 
We can't see that what God is doing in that moment. He does things on his own timeline. And God was doing something in Saul. He was doing something in David. And probably neither one of them could see it. Let me ask you something in, in terms of like the goal that you have, the thing that seems like is, is not coming to fulfillment in your life. Who should be in charge of the timeline? Brit, right? If you're David, you want this thing to go fast, right? Fast track me. But let me ask you this. What if you're one of the subjects in the nation of Israel at that time? How do you want God to handle this? You've already had a bad king. Do you want the next one to be fast tracked? Or would you prefer that God works on him for a little while? Here's a psalm from Asaph, Psalm 78, verse 70. He's, he's, Asaph is speaking of King David, and he says, he chose, or the Lord, he chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens, from tending the sheep. He brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And this, this is like, this is money right here. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. Where do you think David's integrity and his skills were forged? It seems to me that it took 15 years to turn a boy into a man. To take a shepherd of sheep and turn him into a king who was ready to shepherd people. And the reason why I point that is we, we don't get the fast track ourselves. God oftentimes needs to shape us, and he'll make progress on us if we allow him, but it'll probably take longer than we want it to take. And all this time, when it just seemed like a long time, probably seemed like a waste to David, but the whole time God is growing him. He is shaping him. And do you think he was going to need that? It's a king of a nation. Here's why perseverance is so important at the moment it's the hardest. Because God often does something in you before he does something for you. We want the victory lap. We want to be on the podium. We want the achievement. We want the gold star. We want accolades. We want recognition. We want success. But God is much more concerned about who we are than what we can do. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10.35, don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to, what's the word? Persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he's promised. So isn't it possible for those of us that feel like we're in this crucible of waiting, of struggling, that the reason God has not taken us forward is he has something to do. He has something to do in us or those around us. He's making us stronger and stronger. He's preparing us. And in doing that, what seems to be just endurance and just suffering is actually preparing us or something that God has, us, has in the future that we, we think we know what we know, but we don't know 
And God is doing that necessary work. And that's why James said in 1.3, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So maybe the reason I'm where I'm at right now is that God has me right where he wants me. He has something that he wants to do in me. Maybe the reason I'm struggling in my marriage and it's in crisis is that God is working on me and he's working on my spouse. He's building something into us that he can't do in any other relationship except in that crucible of marriage. Maybe the reason my kids are so challenging right now is because God is developing patience in me or God is trying to lead me to understand how to Discipline my children in his love and raise them in his nurture so that they develop the skills and character they need to be men and women of God when they're older. Maybe the reason I didn't get that promotion at work is I still need to work on some things and I need some skills or I need some character or I'm really not ready to get into that position. And maybe the fact that nobody else sees my amazing qualities like I do is just God is waiting for some of those amazing qualities to develop in us. See, often our progress isn't obvious because our perspective is limited, but we know that God is always doing something. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and while they do, I want to share with you something I read um, It's from Angela Duckworth. She studied at Harvard and Oxford, and she did research on this this topic. And the question she was asking is, why do successful people succeed? And she and her team went and researched three three different areas. They researched uh, a famous military academy. They went to study uh, some very challenged public schools. And thirdly, they studied world-class spelling bee champions. And what they wanted to find out in the military academy is why do some cadets endure and get through and others wash out right away in the first few weeks? And when they went to the inner city schools, they wanted to find out which, why were some teachers so successful and had a career and went the distance and then others caved in the first few weeks at those schools or before the end of the semester? And they went to look at fifth grade, brilliant little students that can spell words that have 72 letters in them. And I wanted to find out why some of them would, even though they were equally talented, would cave under the pressure. And what they discovered was something that they didn't didn't expect. It wasn't IQ. It wasn't intelligence quotient that was the difference, but it was actually what uh, Duckworth calls AQ the adversity quotient. It wasn't just how smart they were, but it was how much they could overcome. Not IQ, but AQ. And she wrote a book. The title of the book is Grit. And in the book, she has a quote uh, where she said, what is grit? I'm going to put it up on the screen. Grit is passion and perseverance for long-term goals. I like that. I, I mean, I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm passionate about it. It's not just that. 
It's perseverance. And it's not just perseverance for a short time. It's perseverance for a long time. That's the Christian life. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And if if you're a Christian today and you're struggling, I want to remind you that God doesn't say we're supposed to be perfect. He doesn't say you're going to have a perfect marriage. He doesn't say you're going to have perfect kids or you're going to be the perfect Christian. What he does say is what Jesus said to people, right? He said, follow me. Follow me. You'll stumble, but get back up and start walking. You'll lose your way, but get back on the path. You won't always be able to see me, but you can trust me and you can follow my voice. And if you want a vibrant and fruitful faith, a faith that makes a difference not just on Sunday morning or just in your eternal destination, but a faith that makes a difference on Monday, then add to your faith perseverance. Don't quit. The world's depending on it. Let's stand and worship together. Hey everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.